Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. Matthew Dickerson. Sit back and relax. It's time to talk technology. Hello, window shoppers of the digital world. Grab a fresh croissant and come for a stroll down virtual Rodeo Drive as we wander into another freshly cut episode of Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson. And here, spruiking at the front door with his candy-striped waistcoat and straw boater is the man himself. It's Matthew Dickerson. How are you, Matt? How's your week been? It's a very interesting visual image you've created there, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, if I was going to be a spruker, it would be a candy-striped waistcoat and a straw boater. That would be the go, you reckon. <laughs> that seems fair. Now, look, I've had a really exciting week. I'm really uplifted by a couple of experiences that I've actually had. We talk a little bit about EVs and about Australia being somewhat behind the rest of the world. But in the last week, I've had the opportunity to do a few things, which has given me some more hope. I had to go away and I needed a hire car for a couple of days. And so I said to the hire car company, or I looked for a few of them, but I said to the one I chose, I needed an EV. And they said, oh, very exciting news. We've got our first We EV actually have car. one. Exactly right. There we go. And you got a little bit more excited. I did. And I have hired one before. I went to Hobart uh, six months ago and there was a company there that had a Polestar. So I hired that. And this was a BMW iX3, which I haven't been in a BMW EV before. So they were pretty excited because they've got one there waiting for someone to hire it. And someone's finally hired it. I think it had about 200 kilometres on the odometer. So, <laughs> so they were a bit excited that someone's finally going to take it. And I was a bit excited. And I thought, well, that's good. There's some progress being made there. And then I had to go to Sydney for another event and we needed to get in a couple of taxis and I have a bit of a philosophical issue here with Ubers versus taxis, but anyway, I take yeah, taxis. Okay, right. My kids take Ubers, so I got in a couple of Ubers with my kids, two trips for the day, and the first one we jumped in was a Polestar 2 and I said, wow, I'm impressed. How do you find it? And you know those people that used to smoke and now they don't and they're the greatest advocates for non-smoking yeah it's a bit like that with someone that's got an ev and this guy so they started going on the oh, yeah off on the tangent just uh yeah telling all about the evs about this wonderful ev and i didn't mention that i was a bit of a fan myself i said oh, how do you find this and off he went he was doing you the let him hard run. sell i let him run absolutely right he was enjoying it too much so he loved that so he had a pole star too and thought that was fantastic and almost to the point of i don't understand why Everyone doesn't have one. Oh, how long have mm. you had this? Oh, about a month. So, <laughs> yeah. And then, then the next Uber we jumped into was a guy who had a BYD. And I hadn't been at a BYD before. Oh, right. So now, I'd, I hadn't actually realised that they were, they'd hit our shores, but yeah, clearly they have. Not not a lot, I don't think. So they're probably not, not an abundance of them around. But again, it was a tidy little car, EV. Again, this guy was pretty much a fan and started talking about how cheap they were to run. Obviously, yeah. if you're doing something like doing Uber driving, then petrol would be a major expense. And have you done any research? Do you know how much they cost here in Australia? The BYDs, there's a few different models, and I think they do start below 50 and go up to maybe 70 grand, but that's just yeah, right. off the top of my head. Don't base all your decisions on Cause that. Because the idea was was they were going to be super affordable. So I hope yeah, they, yeah. Yeah, they were. At one stage, I thought they were going to have the cheapest one. I thought there was one that was going to be about 45. So I'm mm. sure there are some models below that 50 mark. So, yeah, that was exciting. So I thought that was good. And then to top it all off... When I got back home from a couple of those trips, I had a new car waiting for me, which is the hey. Hyundai Ioniq 6. Yeah, so right. We were talking about that earlier. Yeah, yeah. So I've been driving the 5 for about a year or so, and I sold that one and bought the 6. And the 6 is actually it's interesting the way things are developing. And we have talked about this before. With internal combustion engines, there's been a lot of development over more than a century to get to where we are now with mm. a fairly sophisticated engine. With EVs, we haven't done a century of development yet. Mm. There was probably a century ago you might have been able to get a car that had a, a electric motor and a battery, but then it stopped for maybe 100 years and then started yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So we've got a long way to go. But with the Ionic 5 to the Ionic 6, the battery is the same size. The motor is the same motor. Essentially, there might be some minor differences there. But the range has increased by more than 100 kilometres. So the Ionic 6 has got a, an official rated range of 614 kilometres. Yeah, right. So that's pretty impressive. And it is a different shape. The Ionic 6 is more a sedan. It's actually a bit retro. It looks a bit like a Porsche at the back. Ah, uh, got the sleek uh, sleek lines on it. Yeah, it has. And obviously they've done a lot of work on the aerodynamics of it, and that's where they've gained the extra range. Now, I haven't driven it very far yet. I think the odometer's got about 120 kilometres on it this day, <laughs> so I haven't had much of a drive yet. I'll give you more information as I drive it a bit more. But I just think the development there, just in aerodynamics alone, mm. has made a big difference. Sure, it seems easy to just 
chuck a bigger battery in, but that costs money and you've got a weight penalty with that. Mm. To make the change with aerodynamics, maybe a bit harder to do that, but we've got things like Formula One that have got some pretty sophisticated aerodynamic work that's going on there. Not that this car is going to do 300 kilometres an hour, but I think there's some work that's being done to make it better. So that was pretty exciting. Well, the so Ionic 5 wasn't really aerodynamic. It was more like an SUV design, wasn't it? Yeah. It was an SUV-type shape. You're spot yeah. on there. Yeah. So at the front, though, they can still obviously make it a little bit aerodynamic. Even yeah, though they, they have to. Have yeah, a, yeah, yeah. A bigger back. But one thing that I'm interested about is the Ionic 6 is very sleek looking at the back. In fact, if you turned it around, you'd probably say that it would be not much of a different uh, aerodynamic efficiency from the back to the front. Yeah, okay. So maybe some of the work they're doing is not just on the frontal area that hits the air, but in what happens with some of the drag that's created by the By air the swirling th- currents behind it. Yeah, yeah. all of yeah. that. So again, I think we're getting better and smarter with all that, and wind tunnels are getting much cleverer with all of that. So yeah, I'm, I'm pretty impressed with it so far. So it's been a good EV week for me. Very good, very good. Well, we better tuck into our feast of stories today. In the current day and age, in the case of emergency, it's pretty much a given that help is just a phone call away. For most of us, at least. But what about those who live remotely? There is still a fair whack of us that don't have regular mobile phone coverage. Can you believe it? In 2023, I think I remember having that problem about 15 years ago. But consider any emergency today. You should be able to just dial triple O and you'll be okay. But what if you can't get reception even for emergency calls? Apple thinks it's got the solution. Matt, it's not relying on phone towers or Wi-Fi. It's not. Now, this was an exciting announcement in October 2022 when Apple announced their iPhone 14, and they said, happy days, if you're out of reception of a phone tower, you can use satellite. And that was fine if your emergency was in the US or Canada. Mm. (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) Because it was only working in those countries. Just trying to restrict your emergencies there, folks. That's right. If you're going to get in trouble, make sure it's in one of those two parcels of land. But the exciting announcement is that this week, Australia has been added. We're the 13th country that's been added around the world to have this satellite service. And I stumbled on it accidentally. I was actually out in Litchfield in Northern Territory this week. And so there you are in the middle of nowhere and you don't expect to have reception. Mm. And I looked down at my phone and I saw a little satellite symbol where I'd normally expect to see the mobile phone signal. And I went, hmm, I haven't seen that before. And thinking of the satellite service, well, it can't be Apple satellite service because I know that doesn't work in Australia. Of course, when I got back into reception, I did some Googling and found out that literally We've that day, oh, that day, it had been turned on. So a great day to have an emergency. <laughs> exactly right. Lucky I didn't have an emergency, but <laughs> you're, you're right. So that's exciting and fantastic. Now, many people think, well, that's great. I can now just use that as my satellite phone when I go tripping out through the middle of the desert. It's not designed for that. The way it actually works is a few things. You've got to make sure that you've got your medical ID and your emergency contacts set up on your phone before you go out into somewhere where you might need an emergency call. And then if you're out somewhere and something does happen, it's not designed for me to ring you and say, oh, James, I'm looking at this beautiful sunset here in the middle of nowhere at the moment. Oh, I'll take a photo and send it to you. None of that's designed to work with this particular satellite service. It's designed for an emergency. So I'm out there in the middle of nowhere. I have an emergency. Something happens. And so I try ringing triple O, knowing full well that I'm not going to get through because I've got no reception. And when I do that, it then will pop up with an extra icon on my phone screen to say emergency text response or similar wording to that. Right. Once I see that, I then say, I click on that and then it actually asks me a few questions. So for example, it will say, what's the type of emergency? Is it sickness or injury? Is the information that's up to date in your medical ID and emergency contacts? So you can update that, but I'd say do that before you go somewhere. Who needs help? Is it me or someone else, for example? So a few basic questions, how are you breathing, those type of things. And then, of course, you've got the location because it knows where you are. Yeah. And once it's got all that, it then says you've reached the emergency relay centre. We'll send the information on as a text message to the emergency relay centre in addition to your emergency contacts. So again, this is where you don't want to do it to play around or have some fun Mm. because that means that your loved ones who are set up in your phone will suddenly get notification about this questionnaire that James has got an emergency, a traumatic injury or whatever it might be. So they're going to be a little bit worried about you as well. Hire some helicopters, get out there and spend mm. ten to thousands of dollars rescuing you, and for you to get there and go, yeah. hey, uh-huh. it all works. Fool. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. Okay. So that all seems good. One thing though that I do like about it is that the Find My feature that 
you've got in iPhones, iPads, watches, etc. So you can track someone. Again, you've got to have that set up in your account. It's not just a random, I'll just see where James is at the moment because mm. I'm thinking about him. It's one of those things that people use in the family environment typically, but that feature can be turned on for satellite connections as well. So when someone is out in the middle of nowhere, if you think, oh, I haven't heard from this particular person, I'm sure he's okay. I've received no emergency contact information, but I'll just check that he's okay and still moving, still travelling as such, mm. and you can actually check with that. Now, with satellite services, of course, the important thing is that you can see the sky. So if you're sitting in a house in the middle of nowhere, no reception, or even in your car, typically these won't work. It's got to be able to right. see the sky. If you're out in the middle of the Simpson Desert, unless you're in a car, pretty safe. You're not going to have too many trees or tall buildings to obstruct the signal, but sometimes in a car, for example, people might be sitting in a car going, I can't get this emergency contact. So stick your hand out the window, at least you don't see the sky, then it'll work. So pretty exciting. And this is where we're traveling now. And it's interesting, I actually was talking to a federal poly the other day who used to be a minister or, or parliamentary secretary for communications. And he was actually saying, I don't know whether we should keep putting towers up in Australia because we're going to get to the stage where every phone call will be made via some sort of satellite, whether it be low Earth orbit satellite, typically rather than geostationary. But I still think you're going to have this problem that if you think you're going to cover everywhere via satellite, then you're going to have a lot of them. It gets pretty crowded mm. up there. But you also have this problem that you're inside a lot. You're in tall buildings, you're in houses, you're in cars. Mm. You're not going to see the sky. So having a tower three or four kilometres away versus a low Earth orbit satellite 400 kilometres away I think that's still going to be the solution for some time to come. Yeah. Interesting where we're going with that, though. All right, folks, who wants a free TV? A free 55-inch 4K TV, no less. The deal is real, folks. But of course, of course, there are always some conditions. For one, you have to live in the US, which is going to cause at least some of our listeners to think harder. Secondly... And this is an absolute lock-in, folks. I'm sorry. You have to have continuous ads running on a secondary screen. Matt, is a free big screen enough to entice you into an international move? It's an interesting concept, isn't it? I don't know if I moved to America for it, but I've had it in Australia. Free Would TV. you have another telly that you <laughs> hang a sheet over and <laughs> so is it like uh, still on the screen where you've got those ads running no, it's or is actually, it off to the side it's below they have a little yeah, okay. screen at the bottom of it so you get your free 55 inch 4k as you mentioned and then this telly that you get and it's not a bad tv it's it's good quality probably be worth a thousand dollars us retail and at the and bottom of free. that and it's free that's right and at the bottom of that there's another screen there now this is the challenge that organizations have now there are so many different ways to try and push my product onto you. Mm. And I first started in business a long time ago, 35 years or thereabouts. And then the decisions were pretty easy. It was really just whether you went with radio, TV or newspaper. That was mm. the big decision about which one of those three. And even when you chose one of those three, there weren't many choices. At the time where we are, we had one commercial TV station. So if you chose TV, then that was the channel you chose. There wasn't yeah, a lot about right. it. Yeah. Same you either watched the commercial telly or you watched the ABC. That's right. And the ABC you could never advertise on. And the same with radio. There was one radio station, so you only chose that one to advertise on. And then, of course, radio. Sorry, there were a couple of radio stations, only one newspaper, and radio station, there was, there was one to begin with, and then eventually we had a, a couple more. So it really was a decision about the type of market you had and what would they use as the method that they listened to or got their news or information from. Now, wow, it is a complicated yeah. spectrum out there about how you get your product out to the masses and especially with things like streaming where you haven't got ads, although some streaming services do have ads, but typically streaming services with no ads, how do I advertise on that? Well, you can't, but I want mm. to advertise on that. Mm. So this is the, the problem we have. So someone has said, I reckon the way we do it is by giving people something. They want a TV, fantastic. They can hang it there and they can watch TV. All we're going to do is give them 24-7 ads. That's it. That's, that's <laughs> fine. That's but at least then it doesn't matter what they're watching on the TV, if it's a streaming service or if it's another channel. So you don't have to choose. If I was going to be an advertiser on this, I'm not choosing what channel I'm going to advertise on because there are so many channels now with yeah. pay TV and free-to-air TV. There's so many different channels to choose from. So the concept sounds fantastic. The only slight flaw I saw in the plan is that – when I'm advertising, 
I want to advertise to people that have got the money to buy the product that I'm trying to sell. Yeah. And the people that are going to want a free TV and put up with the ads are probably the people that have got less disposable income because yeah. they want the free TV. So I'm going to be advertising to people that are less able to buy my products. But that might just be something that I choose the products that I advertise on there. So advertising luxury products, high-end mm. luxury products, probably wouldn't make sense. Advertising Fast essential. Fast food chains are going to go ballistic on this. <laughs> that's, that's right. I was going to say advertising essential products, but you've gone straight to fast food. So sorry. I'm not sure that <laughs> yeah. I'd put it's fast food. It's just one of those things though, but yeah, yeah. sorry, move on. Yeah, yeah but, but again, I think that's a sort of, you'd really want to pick the sort of product that you would put on there. But yeah. this is interesting, isn't it? I just think different ways, you've got to be innovative, you've got to be creative, but they've got 500,000 of these units that they're ready to ship out to people who basically agree to say, yep, I'll leave that running at the bottom and I'll just keep running ads on it the whole time. The TV itself though, you can plug in different devices, it's got HDMI ports, so you can do whatever you like, run streaming services, plug in your games console, so you can play games and it doesn't matter, just at the bottom of it, it's just going to be continually running these ads. The, um, uh, how distracting it will be. <laughs> okay, so clearly, well, I'm going to assume that they're not playing sound, so it's just sort of quiet ads sort of moving. You'd have to think that, wouldn't you? Because you couldn't really have someone <laughs> have plugging. jingles going <laughs> while right. you're trying to watch you know, Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> um, but, um, I, I like where you went as the first movie to choose. You don't want sound in. Oh, look, or something like Schindler's List or something like that, where it's really sort of very moving and uh, very, uh, yeah, it's a very strong, powerful film. And you've got... Uh, <laughs> A, ling- a, a, a jingo sort of going <laughs> down the bottom. Yeah, so I, I imagine it would be information. And I imagine, I wonder how much you'd tune it out as well. You're watching whatever's on screen, and is it just subliminally just hitting you there constantly, or is it just completely tuned out? But they've obviously done their research. Mm. They've obviously taken significant dollars to put 500,000 of these TVs there in a factory somewhere ready to ship out. They've obviously done their research to say this will work and we'll get advertised on it. Different concept. What other ways are people going to come up with to try and get products out there? I reckon sales in black plastic will go up. There's been talk now for a few years of this next piece of tech creating a real revolution. And good things come to those who wait, as my mother used to tell me, around Christmas time. From a country where EVs are the norm, it stands to reason that charging up should be as smooth as the road that you're driving on. And that's literally the way they have gone in Sweden. By 2025, they'll have the world's first road that charges your EV as you drive. Matt, more bright sparks coming out of Scandinavia, huh? Absolutely. I love some of the concepts coming out of there. This is a 21-kilometre stretch of road, stretch of highway, that's going to be charging your EV. Now, there's been some trials done in a variety of countries, actually. You've had some done in Sweden. You've had some done in UK, Germany, Italy, even Israel. They've typically been fairly short sections because they've been trials. They've been Mm. trying different ways. And there's three main methods they've been using to charge your EV as you drive. The first one is a bit like a suburban train system where they'll construct overhead power lines and then your vehicle. And this is probably designed more for larger vehicles, trucks type of thing, rather Mm. than cars. They basically have a a trailing wire at the top and that'll just trail along on that wire. A bit like Dodgem cars that are shown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Wow. So that's been one method they've trialled. Fairly easy to fit a vehicle with that because it literally is just a pole. That pole might fold down, for example, when you're not using it. And then when you enter this section, fold up, connects on there, rubs along there, puts some power into your car. I can't imagine it's charging it at an incredibly fast rate. Mm. The second method seems like a lot more work and it's a bit like a slot car scenario. You'll have literally a slot in the road and as you drive onto that, there'll be a piece that will fall down from your car and drag into that system, into that (laughs) slot and charge as you drive along. (laughs) Those two systems they've trialled, They've had varying levels of success. I think the way they'll go, though, will be wireless charging. And that will involve constructing a number of coils underneath the road. And then your car will be fitted with a receiving wireless coil underneath the car. And as you drive onto that road, it automatically charges up. Just the same as we've got wireless chargers with phones, it'll be the same thing. Yeah, I think anything that comes with a physical link 
needs a little bit more maintenance to, on it, doesn't it? That would make sense. And just imagine trying to line up that slot into the yeah. or, or the, the thing that drops down into the slot. And again, that's rubbing, so there's more friction there. The wireless one makes a lot more sense. And people already are doing wireless charges with their EVs in their garages where they'll put a wireless coil on the ground. They might mm. plug that into their maybe a PowerPoint or maybe something where they need a bit more power than that, and they'll fit a wireless device underneath their car. So every time they drive into their garage, their car just charges up. You never have to worry about plugging it in. So that <laughs> sounds great. But going along a stretch of road is obviously the same sort of thing. Now, yeah. I am intrigued by one part. They're going along a highway. Sorry, now that third uh, way method is the way that they're going. Uh, well, they haven't said that, but they have said we've been testing different methods, and it seemed like the ground-based inductive charging was the method. They okay. haven't made the announcement yet. But I, having read some of the trials they've done, I suspect that'll be the way they'll go. The interesting part, though, here is 21-kilometre stretch of highway. On a highway, you typically expect to be driving faster, maybe 110 k's an hour, for example, in Australia. I actually thought it would be better to have a very busy road where traffic is slower moving yeah. because the length of road, that's going to be the, the cost of putting this in. So the longer the road is, obviously, the the dearer that's going to be. If you want to charge up a car a certain amount of charging, then you want it to have as much time as possible. Yeah, so if it's so travelling slower. That's right. So a 21-kilometre stretch on the highway or a 21-kilometre stretch in a congested city where people are going like, 20 kilometres an hour, that would make more sense to me. So I, I don't quite understand why they've gone on a highway. Mm. But one of the things that's really fascinating out of this is that you say, well, big deal, it sounds convenient, but is it really going to help much? Well, there's a study that's been done by Chalmers University of Technology in Sweden, and they said that they believe for cars that will be used in commuting, you'll be able to reduce the battery size by up to 70% because you won't need to charge as often and you won't need the range. Yeah, so if every right. day on your commute to work, you drive along on a road that charges up your battery, who cares if you've only got a 200-kilometre range, for example, because, well, I'll charge up that on the way and it'll be ready to go and then on the way home, I'll charge up again. You only need the 200 kilometres for the bit that you're not charging up. Exactly right. And so if you reduce the battery size by 70%, then the cost of the car is obviously going to come down fairly dramatically as well because the battery is still a large part of the cost of the car. So I, I thought that was pretty interesting. I really suspect that there'll be a fair amount of movement on this once you see a few places set up and working. So there'll be a decision being made by any company, or sorry, any company in government that's building a new road in the future, which will be new road being built, what type of method, not do we put it in, what type of method of charging do we put in for that particular road. I don't know how they do the costing of this. I don't know how you get to pay for the electricity use. It may be some government initiative where they say we want people to use EV, so it's going to be free to everyone that drives on that road. Mm. Or it may be something where you'll have an account, I'm sure, it would be similar enough to set up where it only activates when your car authenticates itself against something there to charge you while you go on it. Well, I wonder if there's also going to be an issue with, say, Lenz's Law. So we've got coils that are in the road that are, I assume, uh, operating sort of uh, with uh, an alternating sort of current through them. So they create a magnetic field of their own, which will induce a magnetic current in your car that is going, sorry, a magnetic field um, from currents in your car. That will slow down. Uh, right. So you're going to have to work a little bit harder to get across that road. I wonder, I just wonder, I'm spitballing here. Yeah. But anyway, some yeah. questions to be answered and, and we'll find out what happens in Scandinavia. It's a, it's a really interesting question because I haven't seen that discussed in any of the information I've read about the wireless charging in the roads. Hmm. It'd be pretty difficult. No, it wouldn't actually be because you know how many kilowatt hours per 100 kilometres your car is using and that's hmm. fairly solid information that comes through on your dash of your car to tell you your efficiency. So if suddenly that went up by a couple of kilowatt hours per 100 kilometres, you go, oh, well, this is great, I'm getting some charge here, but I'm actually using more while mm. I'm driving through that. It's an interesting mm. concept. Anyway, it's the thing's happening out there. Yeah, very good. Now, we've all done this. We've all looked at those people with at least a little bit of contempt those pedestrians with their heads buried in their phones as they're walking. Everybody loves those videos of people coming a gutzer on the pavement because they were all too distracted. There's something satisfying about that. And they give us a satisfying giggle as the hapless victim ends up tangled up in their own mess due to their own misgivings. Well, tech has stepped in to wreck our entertainment and help those who cannot help themselves with an app called Streetbit. 
It's designed to save embarrassment, injury, and even lives, Matthew. Even lives. And this is the thing that scares me. In the year 2020, there were 7,000 pedestrian deaths in the US. 7,000 due to people staring at their phones. Not yeah. always, but largely yes. Yeah, right. They're distracted by something and what better thing to distract you than a mobile phone. Mm. Of course, the solution to a technology creator problem is technology. Why not? <laughs> and exactly what Streetbit's doing, and I'm intrigued by the methodology they're using. I thought it would have been a bit different, but what they're doing is you download the app, Streetbit, so first of all, you've got to be aware enough that you're an idiot yourself before you actually <laughs> download the app. That you cannot help yourself. <laughs> That's right. So the only way, yeah, you've got to think in advance. That's right. right. You've got to think, I'm an idiot. I'm going to have my head down and get hit by a car one day. I better download this app. So that's one minor flaw in the plan. But let's assume we get past that. They're then relying on some Bluetooth beacons to be set up at pedestrian areas, high crash areas. So when you've got your head buried down, after you've downloaded the app and you've got your head in the phone, walking along, and you then approach one of these Bluetooth beacons, your phone then gives you an audio and a visual alert to say, hey there, Mr. Silly Person. Heads up. Have a look around. There might be some cars around. You might get wiped out. Let's not make it 7,001. Let's make it one less for this year. I actually thought it would have been better to use just GPS, location technology, mm. to say that you're coming near the edge of a footpath or a sidewalk in the US, as they're called, mm. so that you then basically get some sort of visual and audio alert on your phone. Because when you start to talk about constructing Bluetooth beacons yeah. at all these various locations, that sounds like a lot of expense. Yeah, infrastructure there. That's yeah. right, and a, lot of, a large time frame. Now, they have put some costings around what it costs, and I don't know what the cost of a human life is. I couldn't put a, a dollar value on one of my loved ones if someone said, what's the cost of that life worth. But someone's done the calculations, maybe some actuary somewhere who's done some cold hard calculations on the cost of a life. And they said it's worthwhile putting the beacons around because in the state of Alabama, Alabama in America, then they estimated that pedestrian deaths cost the state from $18 million to $29 million a year. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, again, yeah. I don't know how you put a cost on a life on the life of a person, but that's what they've said. So putting beacons up, if it costs you a million dollars to put some beacons up, well, they're way in front. So I like the concept. I like the concept that it's giving you some sort of alert just to stop you being silly. And I do remember when Blackberries first came out, there was a very funny comedy video that someone put out, some comedy group, I assume, put out, and people were a bit addicted to their Blackberries. They were called Crackberries for an obvious <laughs> reason there. But they put out this very funny video where they were advertising new products for Blackberry. It was made up, obviously, and there was a Blackberry helmet. And you put the Blackberry helmet <laughs> on, and, uh, and of course, then you had your head down, and they showed this person just running into pot plants that were hanging down and running into <laughs> glass walls and all sorts of things so they could keep their head down while they were going along with their phone. They didn't show them running into cars, but you can just imagine that people were just finding it very funny because, oh, yes, I've seen someone on their Blackberry with their head down all the time. But unfortunately, people have got their heads down whatever phone they've got yeah. now, and, and cars don't really let people bounce off them that well. No, they don't, no. Bringing communication to people who've been cut off by natural disasters or in conflict zones is a big deal. If you think I'm exaggerating, pop your phone on and your laptop into your bottom drawer and don't touch them for three days. And we'll measure your descent into darkness by how many litres of sweat you shed over those three days. We all need to uh, we all need access to communication and these days we need it always. It's why you'd never let your phone go uh, to zero charge, folks. It's, it's not worth the angst. So when radio towers in a region are damaged for whatever reason and the solution may be days or weeks away, you need a quick, quick fix. And that's when we bring the new Aussie-designed robotic radio tower that will self-assemble. Matt, this will do some powerful good around the world. I don't think you'd need three days, James. I reckon three minutes might be enough time. Yeah, for some people it's it's measured in minutes and hours, <laughs> right. um, this descent into hell. Three days would be just too much to handle. But they've actually, it's great to see an Australian company coming up with some really innovative ideas. And they've looked at some examples where communications would have made things so much better if they were still in place. And we think of things like war zones or mm. we think of tsunamis, but even the black summer bushfires that went through 2019 through 2020, 
those you know, were, just decimate your infrastructure completely. Exactly and to right. rewire everything takes a big deal. That's right. And they had extensive network outages during that particular disaster and communications were down and they said that more damage occurred to both human life and to buildings, infrastructure, because they didn't have effective communication. Yeah, so there's right. been a review, I think it's done to go, uh, going at the moment, about how you might have other types of communications because I suppose back in the old days before mobile phones, a lot of the emergency services had their own radio networks. Now they've got mobile phones, they just say, mm. well, we'll use those. Of course, when the towers get taken out, that becomes a bit of a problem. But this particular design by a company over in WA is quite clever in that it's the size of a shipping container. So you think, well, that's not much good because you need a bit of height with a tower to get a bit of range around from that tower. So this shipping container, you'll tow into place. Shipping containers are very convenient because lots of trucks can handle them. Mm. Railways it's a standard size. That's right, standard size, shipping can handle them, whatever. You bring it to a certain spot and you say, turn on. And it has some legs that come out to give it stability and they basically, you say, self-construct uh, construct themselves. I'm thinking of something out of a Transformer movie. <laughs> it does sound it's like it, doesn't it? Cool. <laughs> and then a 16-metre tower pops up to give you wow. some range around there and some solar panels pop out so that it can be charging up. It comes with some fairly good batteries in it to start with and then it connects and away it goes. They say that it will take about 10 minutes after you drop it at a location for it to be operational. Wow. And See, I'm, I'm envisaging this being just towed in behind a fire front. In, in the case of the 2019 fires, you've got this fire front that's just... You know, just decimating the the land that it's just sweeping over the top of. But behind it, it's all safe. Uh, it's all black and, and you know, and there's not a lot of life there, but you can tow that in behind, drop it off wherever you need to drop it off at a good strategic spot. And uh, people have still got communication, even if they're in front of the fire front. And the damage has been done. So there might have been a tower that yeah. might have been destroyed as the fire went through. But exactly yeah. as you said, drop one of these in there. It'll do about a 15-kilometre radius. Again, that would depend on the height. So if you had a convenient hilly spot where you could drop it, you might get further than that. But at only 16 metres, you start to run into the problem with the curvature of the earth to start mm. to beat you from those signals. But the 15-kilometre radius gives you reasonable sort of range. So that sounds all pretty reasonable to me. The minor issue is that each one of these containers is about a million bucks. Mm. So you probably don't want to have them sitting around just doing nothing, waiting for a disaster to happen. You might be using them for other things. And sporting matches, for example, when you have festivals, sporting events, carnivals, all types of things, then you can pay the telcos a large sum of money to bring in some mobile communications. They've got a few of those ready to go. So you might use it for those type of events and have them at the ready because you don't really want to tie up lots of $1 million containers and just sit there and, well, we hope we use them one day. In fact, we hope we don't use them because we don't mm. want a disaster, but they're there ready to go if we need them to go. The only question I have, and I couldn't find the answer to this, is that we've got three telcos in Australia. And normally when you've got a tower constructed somewhere, that tower, sure, it might be public infrastructure for the tower, but the actual infrastructure for the telcos have their own individual infrastructure there for their own antennas and their own equipment. Yeah, I don't know how this works. When you drop one of these in place, do you then get, well... It's you've universally got a, covering everything. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how they do that. And so then does it have all three antennas for all three telcos on there? Or do you have bidding from the three telcos and they say, we want to own mm. this particular one and, oh, no, I'm with the other telco. I can't use my phone still, although triple O will still work. So if it was that type of emergency where you use triple O, that will still work no matter which telco you're connected with. So that was one I didn't quite know the answer to, but ignore that little technicality for a moment. I'm sure they'll address that problem. But I just think the concept of dropping this in wherever it might be sounds like a really good solution. I think that uh, it'll be a big thing that the military um, or militaries across the the planet will be looking to pick up. Yeah, well, interesting you say that the Ministry of Defence in the Ukraine requested 50 of these mobile platforms this, this year. So that's great for this WA company that has a million-dollar price tag on each one. There's a $50 million order for them. So fantastic. Well done to them. Here's one for the civil engineers out there. If your building could talk to you, what would it say? What would you want it to say? Some clever cookie out there saw a real need for construction workers to get more information out of their jobs. From the actual site. From the actual concrete in the site. With this tech, we're hoping to speed up builds, reduce maintenance frequency and lower carbon emissions. Matt, 
bring in the concrete whisperers. This is actually designed more for roads than buildings, but I can't see why it wouldn't be used in buildings at some stage. But right. the first one, and again, often with technology you're working on where you can get the biggest bang for your buck, and roadways is exactly that. Now, in America, only 2% of the roads are made from concrete, but the interstates, the freeways, if you like, that we'd call them here, 20% of those are designed with concrete. And that makes a lot of sense because concrete seems to be much harder wearing, much longer wearing than bitumen. But one of the problems they have is they do all the testing for the concrete in a laboratory and they work out how long it needs to cure for and how long before some weight can go on it and all sorts of wonderful calculations. And you don't want to go longer than the appropriate time frame because that means you're holding up traffic or diverting traffic and basically yeah. creating more carbon emissions because cars sitting there idle waiting to go around some sort of detour. But you don't want to go too early because the concrete hasn't cured and you do damage and so you end up having to replace that roadway sooner. And at this stage, what they've been able to do is test the laboratory, put in the real world, cross their fingers, hope it's all okay. Then you find sometimes the concrete fails before it should have failed. What they're doing in this particular scenario, and this is a, a one particular researcher, Luna Lu, a researcher at Purdue University, has found that putting sensors in the concrete when you're laying the concrete, so literally dropping sensors along where you're about to lay concrete and then using a device to come along and read from those sensors, these sensors will give you information about how that concrete is cured, which is fantastic initially. But mm. then as it goes, you can actually come back and do further readings on those on a regular basis to test the strength of that concrete. So you can make some estimations. Looks like this concrete is due to fail in 10 years' time. Let's put some budgets aside for 10 years' time to replace this particular concrete. Yeah, so right. that's all done on roadways. But exactly as you referred to in your intro, there's no reason you couldn't use this on buildings as well because mm. it really is just about the concrete and the curing of that concrete and again keeping an eye on that concrete as years go by bridges there's already stuff we see with iot and bridges about looking at various minuscule changes in a bridge to try and find out how the concrete's behaving and they've got a lot of stresses where it might be trying to move that concrete as stress is put on that bridge with obviously traffic going on and off the bridge so a whole range of things very early days at this particular stage and really only one researcher. Once people see that there's a bit of future in this and other companies want to go and say, we want to produce something yeah, It takes similar. one person to think of the idea. Yeah, that's right. And uh, everyone else wants to jump on board. And they'll soon jump on board with a whole range of things because the potential for this is incredible. You're not going to go and retrofit it to highways that are already there, but I imagine if America's anything like Australia, there's road being done on, sorry, work being done on roads all the mm. time. So there's no reason why you just wouldn't roll it out as a standard thing. They're a fairly cheap little sensor. As a standard thing in every road that you do, just drop those sensors in. You may remember a month or two ago, we had a play with a new voice simulation software, uh, which is now freely available. And I've got to say, that hearing my own voice coming back to me saying words that I had no part in putting together, well, that was disconcerting to say the very least. Well, aside from potentially creating all sorts of fraud issues, it seems that there may be some very positive uses and Apple is latching onto the possibilities for their accessibility options. Matt, AI put to good use here. We hope, but I'm sure there'll be some people who will use it <laughs> for not good use. And one of the things that I find interesting is that when you talk about accessibility, when you talk about people with a range of disabilities, it is easy to be ignorant. And I put myself squarely in that category because I use devices and I think about how I use them. Mm. But it's very hard to think about how someone with some type of disability might need to use a device. Yeah. Luckily, there are organisations like Apple who say, no, we've got teams of people who go and look at ways people that have low vision or lack of hearing or, in this scenario a lack of an ability to speak or losing their voice, for example. And a friend mm. of mine had a, a cancer in their throat that was actually growing and putting some pressure on their voice box, which was having a major impact on their voice. So one of the things that Apple's come up with, and this will probably roll out in iOS 17, so not quite available yet, is the personal voice feature. So with that, you spend about 15 minutes training the phone to your voice. You talk, there'll be a range of sentences, a range of expressions. You'll read those, you'll talk to those. After 15 minutes of training, that's enough 
for a synthesized version of your voice <laughs> to be able to speak as you. Now, that's great if you do get to the, the stage where you can't use your voice anymore. You can type things in and then you'll be able to have a phone conversation with someone that feels familiar and comfortable mm. with it. But I also thought of uses for people that don't have any disabilities in a plane, for example. I hate it when you get on a plane mm. and someone's sitting on the plane talking about, bye, darling, have a good night's sleep, mummy loves you. And you just think, oh, do you really have to have that conversation at the top of your voice across the whole plane yeah. or whatever it Share might be? There's a, there's a range of different conversations that I've heard that I just cringe at. But now you can be having that conversation in a very deep, meaningful way by typing in some messages on your phone and letting the phone do the job of your voice and the person other end of the phone still thinks that you're having a conversation well, with them. Well, stroke victims as well. I understand that, you know, um, uh, yeah, that people's brains still working fine, but just the inability to um, to be able to communicate with a spoken word for some people becomes extremely frustrating. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, something like this, that's really where it comes into the fore, doesn't it? Exactly it right. It re-empowers these people. And I think the thing that you would have to do is make sure that, you do the recording, the 15 minutes of recording. Yeah. Now, not going, oh, that'll never happen to me. And then something happens to you and you go, oh, I should have done that while I still had a good voice. So that's Well, you, you said that there was a script there that you you basically, you know, talking to your phone for 15 minutes for. Yeah. As this thing goes, surely you might be able to harvest, you know, voices from other places, you know, whether it's you've done recording in some way or other. That's right. And, that, uh, we and might be that. okay because we've got, you know, 300 hours of our voice on this <laughs> podcast, so that might be okay. But you're right, you could probably do that as well. But uh, what I'd say in the short term is go and spend the 15 minutes and put your yeah. voice on there so it's just ready. Other features they'll be including in the, the new iOS for people with needing accessibility options in there. One of them I thought was quite nice and this can help people even who just have glasses and sometimes forget their glasses. Simplified versions of a whole range of the different apps you use on your phone. So that might be just your phone or FaceTime or messages or camera or photos. One of the things that I find is if I just want to take a quick photo, I pull it out and if I want to turn the flash on, for example, I'm squinting my eyes trying to find where it is mm -hmm. if I haven't got my glasses on me or with me at the time. Having options there, that, and this is exactly what the simplified versions will do, will give you fewer options, the options you would most likely use and bigger buttons for those, which is the important part, so that you can just turn on the flash if you need to quite easily with a larger button there that you can see and it's obvious that's the flash button. Mm. So little things like that, again, that you don't think of. Sometimes I think of them if I haven't got my glasses on, but you don't normally think of some of those. And even the magnifier, there's a great magnifying glass on every iPhone and I use that trying to read serial numbers off different products from time to time. But one of the things that will happen with the new magnifier is that it will automatically detect when you've got your phone in front of small text, it will automatically turn on the magnifier to say, obviously you're trying to read this text, I'll just turn on the magnifier for you. So little things like that just to make life a bit easier for people. Yeah, accessibility is a big thing. Here's more on the subject of communication for the future. Async, I'll say that again, I'm getting tongue-tied already, asynchronous voice messaging. Have you heard of this? It sounds like yet another alarm for boomers. Uh, they're not going to love this app necessarily, but its intention is to streamline communication for the uber-busy people out there trying to keep all their ducks in a row. Matt, how does asynchronous voice messaging work? I once heard someone tell me that a phone call is a demand for a meeting without having an appointment. I thought that was a bit harsh. <laughs> but when you think about it, yeah, yeah. I'm just going to muscle my way into your time. doesn't matter what you're doing. It doesn't matter if you're in a really important meeting or you're sitting in the bathtub enjoying reading the latest magazine of popular science or whatever. I'm going to, as you say, muscle my way in and demand a meeting right now. So <laughs> one of the things I find that I find myself doing a bit is if someone does like a phone call, and I do have some people, you'll send them an email and you start counting down before you get the phone call back. Mm. There are some people who just like phone calls, and that's mm. okay. I'm less of a fan of emails than I am of phone calls, but anyway. There you go. The problem is when you get two busy people who are trying to have that phone call, then it becomes a bit of the phone tag. Yeah. Ring up, oh, hi, James, sorry, give us a call back when you get the chance, and you ring back, and, oh, Matt, I'll just ring you back, your turn. And that can go back and forth several times. Async is all over this. Async understands, A, there are some people who are like, conversations rather than emails or texts or all the other different options you've got there to have a communication or a process of communication with someone. 
and B, they realise that there are some people out there with busy lives. So with async, you don't even try and have the live conversation with someone. You ring, you don't actually ring, it's an app that you use, but you go to the app and you say, I want to have a conversation with James. You hit the button to start the conversation and you've got five minutes. Hi James, just thought I'd ring you about blah, 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 have the conversation that I have with you, send. When it's convenient to you, you then use the link that I've sent to you and you respond back in the time that suits you. And then I get a message that comes back to me. Thanks for the message back, James. What I was actually meaning was not blue widgets, I meant yellow widgets. Could you look at that for me? This sounds like how we're going to communicate when we actually colonise the moon or Mars. I think this is how it's going to work. (laughs) Probably right, because you're not going to have a live, real-time conversation. You can't have a live conversation when there's that much delay. That's right. So that's the method. Look, I'm not convinced it's going to take off. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I just like to talk about things on this show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm this not could endorsing go all the of them. way of the fax machine, couldn't it? <laughs> it could, absolutely right. right. But I understand the concept, and I, as with so many things, necessity is the mother of invention. I'm mm. sure this person that created this was very busy and used to get frustrated about these messages and then probably said to himself one day, look, I wish the person would just leave me a message to tell me what they want. Yeah. Oh, hold on, maybe that's the go. So the conversation, as I said, is five minutes each time and you just send back the voice message to people each time. It's a bit like email, but for people who prefer to have the conversation yeah. rather than actually go through and type the email. Now, if you still like to read it, when you send the message off, you get a transcript. Transcript as well. As okay. well. Again, they're always amusing to read because they're sometimes similar to the message that you left. <laughs> they get some of the words right. That's right. Yeah. 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 So it sounds interesting. There are sometimes people who are trying to solve problems we don't know that we've got. This may be one of them. So boomers, do they have anything to worry about here? Do you think this is just going to be something they can let lapse? I, I, go, go go past them, shall we say? Other people will use them, but most boomers are not going to have to worry about asynchronous voice messaging. I, I don't think it's a, it's a goer, but I'm happy to be proved absolutely completely wrong because it does sound like an interesting concept. The Biden administration has been in some very hot water recently with big issues at their southern border and financial difficulties seeing the US teetering on default. So it's probably no wonder that the image makers are looking for some good news to lift the approval rating a smidge. And one thing that Americans truly love is the idea that they're leading the planet into the space age. Matt, Biden is nudging the US into the future by giving airborne taxis a bit of a nudge there. How's that looking? We talk about it from time to time that technology sometimes gets ahead of the legislators. And it's a pretty challenging field if you're trying to create legislation that's going to be good for the masses and make sure you're catering to all sorts of possibilities. Mm. Meanwhile, technology companies are just going flat out trying to work out how to make things happen. In this scenario, what they're trying to do in the US is they're trying to say, in terms of air taxis, vertical takeoff and landing devices or vehicles, we want to be maybe not ahead of the game, but at least trying to keep up. But have some rules there ready to go. Yeah. And there's a whole range of things that I think of, which I'll mention in a moment. But they got together the heavies. They said, let's get together NASA, Transportation Security Administration, Federal Aviation Administration, and the Federal Communications Commission. Let's put all those in a room and say, right, you guys and girls have got the job of coming up with the rules around eVTOL <laughs> aircraft. And we want to make sure that we're leading the way, as you said, leading the world in this and having rules. Now, one of the things I thought of is at the moment, if I just happen to go and buy my little vertical takeoff and landing device, I've got to use pretty much helicopter routes. So Mm. helipads and routes that helicopters would go on, that's what I'm meant to use. But it's not that convenient. If I want to go from my place to your place... We're going to need some more infrastructure, it sounds like. Maybe, but I just want to land in your backyard. That seems okay to me. I've got a bit of room in my backyard, you've got a bit of room, so let's just go there, that'll save a bit of time. But there's no rules in place for that. And then when I do take off from my backyard to go to your backyard, what height should I fly at? Do I need mm. to be 100 metres above the ground, 200 metres above the ground? Where are you going to put ground? your traffic lights? Where am I going to have intersections? <laughs> so all these types of things. And obviously when we talk about 
planes flying between countries flying at 35, 36,000 feet, then there are certain heights you've got to fly at depending on which direction you're flying in. So if you're flying in one direction, north-south, mm. you fly at one height and you're flying south-north, then you're flying at a thousand feet difference in height. So those sort of rules in place. So is that the sort of thing? So we want to have these aircraft separated by not a thousand feet, but by 50 metres, for example, or 100 metres. So if you're flying in one direction, you're in the 100 or 200 or 300, and if you're going the other direction, it's 150 or 250. I'm making it up as I go. But yeah. these are the sort of rules. Things that they have to think about. They have to think about. That's exactly right. And can I just fly direct from my place to your place? Is that acceptable to go from A to B? Or do I have some things in between those two that I shouldn't be flying over? Is there some government building that I shouldn't be flying over, for example? Or yeah. neighbours that don't like noise? All these sorts of rules. It's, wow. uh, it's a bit of a so minefield. I'm just uh, picturing in my head, maybe they've got, they'll have virtual markers that you have to go around to keep you on a highway. And maybe we'll need tra traffic lights. No, maybe not. <laughs> maybe. But, uh, yeah. but that could be right. It could be a, a virtual marker that sits there on the ground that has some sort of you projection. You on an on-screen display or whatever. Exactly right. And yep. I think of boats out in the harbour that you've got to have buoys that are to mm. your starboard side, for example. And again, I don't know the rules. We have the all boat. these rules about um, where you're able to fly drones. So, yeah, it only makes sense. Mm. And drones are probably a bit different because they don't have a person inside them. No. So if they do happen to crash, then you go, damn, I wasted some money but I didn't have a life involved there. But when you start putting people up in these... Yeah. Yeah, it's a bit scarier. So I, I applaud them for going down this path. I'll be really fascinated to see the rules that they come up with and then countries around the world. And do we then get to international rules, which pretty much has happened with the entire aviation industry, where you can be a pilot in one country. And that's pretty much transferable in that plane to any other country. So they've made it so they're pretty international. That makes sense for this as well, but someone's got to lead the way, and good luck to the US. Yeah, good luck to them indeed. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are done for another week. It's time for us to hail a taxi, airborne or otherwise, and make ourselves scarce. Well done on another cracking tech talk, Matt. Or an EV taxi or Uber, as the case may be. Yeah, why not? I'm off to watch videos of people's on their phones crashing into bins and light poles and stuff. Just the funny ones, not the nasty ones, of course. Of course, not the ones that were hit by a car. <laughs> <laughs> I've been your host, James Eddy. At this stage, I'm still a real person and not some AI-generated soundbite. But, of course, that is exactly what AI will say when it finally takes over. So, yeah, take that as you will. Keep checking on us regularly, folks. Please, we're not ready to get swallowed up by the Matrix just yet. Thanks for tuning in once again. Without you, we're just yelling into the wind. So leave a nice review with your provider and bring some friends along for the ride when we bring you Tech Talk with Matthew Dickerson next week. Until then, take care and have a great week. <laughs>